into this group, which I think is certainly true, uh, as we have benefited from his leadership and ministry. But I will say one of the remarkable things about Hank is that he is one of the few people I know who in some ways has been tri-vocational uh, in terms of his background as an architect, his background in aviation, and of course his service to the Lord as an ordained clergyman. So let me just say a brief prayer for him and we will welcome him up. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Hank Avant. We thank you for his ministry. We thank you for GLOW and for their children. Lord, we pray that as he comes to share his heart with us this day, that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit and that you would give us ears to hear. So we pray this in Jesus' name. As a preface to this, and if you don't know me, come up to me afterwards and introduce yourself, because I figured um, that I would be amongst people who knew me pretty well. Um, um, so I want to begin by just telling you a story of my life. And as I tell you the story of my life, I'm going to go back to my childhood, and I'm going to take you forward to today. And... Um, Hopefully you'll get an idea of um, the journey that I have been on and the, um, the inability that I have to solve and answer the questions I've got and, and thus what God showed me to do about that. So first a bit about my childhood. Um, I grew up in uh, the, the PD town of Bennettsville, South Carolina, no applause, but um, a town of about 5,000 people, a rural community, farming mostly. Uh, my dad had one of the um, industries in the town, which was the Pepsi-Cola bottling plant, and so I actually I'm vocational one more way that I spent the first 18 years of my life from the time I was big enough to go out there working, helping bottle Pepsi-Colas and then taking them out on route truck and, and delivering them. And then painting the signs that went up on the, the stores around the two-county area that was the franchise area. Um, that town survives to this day and is about that same size primarily because it is on the main route from Charlotte to Myrtle Beach. And so it, it, the, 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 no interstate was put in to, to go around it. And there's a bypass around it, but you still have to go through a, a fair bit of Bennettsville to get there. So it, it's been able to survive and thrive because it's on a pretty major thoroughfare. And um, the, the second thing about my childhood and about growing up in Bennettsville was that I was baptized as an infant in the Episcopal Church, and my parents were both devout Episcopalians. And so every Sunday, without fail, hurricanes or not, we were in that church worshiping the Lord, or they were. Um, I was busy doing other things. And, um, but, but what happened there was um, I found it just bo boring as ditch water. You know, it just, it just was a boring experience for a child to get there. And it was morning prayer three times a month and, and Eucharist once. And so we sang those psalms, and boy, are they ingrained in me now. And I didn't realize that that kind of thing was happening to me at the time and the significance it would have later on. But once I 
matriculated to Clemson to start my life and, and see the world and do all this stuff and, and get my architectural degree, that was it. I didn't go to church anymore. And I dropped that piece of my life behind me. And its effect would be felt years later. Right after college, I ended up in Columbia um, and was hired by an architectural firm that my father had worked for when he was young. And um, it was quite a, 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 an interesting thing that happened. But the, the primary thing that happened to me as I went to work there and began working there was that down the hall from our office was an office where a high school friend of mine worked. And so she started, and the, there was a cafeteria in the basement of this building, and I would go down there for lunch, and she would be down there, and she would come over and sit with me, and she'd say, you need to come to the cathedral with me, to this group I'm going to. And I would, you know, make some excuse and this and that, and she just wouldn't stop. And so finally I thought, I've got, I've just got to go. So I went to this group, and I walked in the door dreading going there, and I don't think I've met a more joyful, happy group of people than I met the night I walked in that place. And the first person I met was my wife's brother, and we are dear friends to this day. But, but what they did, and what John Yates was there as the youth leader at the time, but what they did was they introduced me to Jesus. And John taught me from the Bible about Jesus. And I came to have an understanding of stuff that I had never listened to I, I didn't think I'd heard it but I certainly hadn't listened to it before in church and I think what made the difference there was the the bond of affection and the friendship and the joy that these people had in welcoming one another into this group every week and it was almost like if you've ever uh, known somebody who's uh, uh, in AA that that if you missed a meeting you got a call we missed you. Are you okay? There was, there was this sense of, of we want you here. We, you're important here. You, you, you bless us, and we want to bless you. So that was an amazing thing. And, and yet, hearing the gospel taught and being introduced to my sinfulness and Jesus' death on the cross for me, it had two very odd effects on me. And these really didn't have anything to do with um, that group or the church. It had to do with my background, with growing up in a turn or burn kind of environment in a small town like Bennettsville. And, and the two things that happened to me created this conflict in me. Uh, the first one was I could not grasp that Jesus could truly love me. I, I could grasp that he would die for me to save me, but that, he, that, that being friends with him was not on the table because I just wasn't worthy. I wasn't capable of living the kind of life that I thought he wanted from his friends. He expected a life that I, I knew. I mean, the good thing was that, that, you know, those guys had made me really honest about myself. But, but it took me to a place that um, I had to go to so that God could do some healing. So that was the first thing. The second thing was this. I let my past and my, the fact that I had done many sinful things and, and mostly the fact that I had gone to church all these years and just ignored God, I let that past 
shaped my view about how God saw me, about how God viewed me. And so what I was able to do was accept his gift of fire insurance, if you will. And that was, growing up in the community I grew, grew up in, that was a big deal because it was primarily, that was primarily the message you got in church. And I went to some different churches there. And it was a message you got in, on, on Sunday morning. It was, you know, heads down, you rotten sinners, now raise your hand if you, if you repent, you know, that kind of thing. And, and so it, it just got reinforced and reinforced and reinforced how, how bad I was. And, and then my own, my own behavior, my own dislike of my family and my parents and my brothers, all of that just, it, it, it was a weight that I, I, I carried around my neck. And so I accepted that fire insurance because I really, really did not want to go to hell. And... Um, but I was like the prodigal son who came home ashamed. I just was ashamed. And I could not get out of that place of being ashamed. I don't know about y'all, but to me, the hardest, the hardest thing to accept about God is His grace. The hardest thing to, to, to truly believe about God is that He... He doesn't hold that against me. He, he doesn't keep a tab on me that he loves me. That he, um, I'll never forget, there's, there's a person sitting in this room who really brought that home to me. And I was talking with this person one day, and, and he asked me, Hank, how do you see Jesus? He said, do you see him as being up, up above you, over you, and looking down on you and operating toward you from a position of superiority? Or do you see him as being on his knees with his hand outstretched to you? And that stunned me. It stopped me in my tracks. And, I, and, and, it, and it changed me. I just went, wow. I've read enough of the Bible and read it enough times that I know that that second answer is the right answer and that began uh, what I would say was the the release and the transformation out of that guilt out of that sense of being unworthy I think grace is the most abundant thing in life and yet it's the rarest thing to get your hands on to get a hold of and to to really let it reach your heart. And that was certainly my experience. Because of all that turn or burn thinking, it, was just, it just was ingrained in me. So along the way, after Clemson, I collected a pedigree. I got a theological MDiv degree from seminary. And I was ordained to the Anglican priesthood and served in it for 20 plus years. And all I can say is what a testimony to the patience of God that that all happened and that I was put in that place where I could rub elbows, particularly with people like this person in the room who said that to me and with Bishop Salmon. I think Bishop Salmon showed me the, I, I can just hear him saying over and over again, Jesus mounted the arms of the cross for us. 
He, he, he didn't get hung up there. He got up there for us. And, and that's true. That's true. He controlled the whole thing. And, and, and he did it not because I'm somebody rotten he didn't like. He did it because he loves me and he loves you. So I, I just want to say what a testimony to the, to the patience and the long-suffering of God um, to stick with me through this and keep redirecting me back when I would get off on one of these beat-yourself-up syndromes. So what I did, though, as, as I went through that process was I, I thought, well, the way, the way I tried to fix things with God and to get God to like me was I thought, I'm going to, to figure out the perfect theology. I'm going to figure out perfectly who God is, what he's like. I'm going to, I'm going to sort it all out so that, 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 and I remember thinking when I die and I stand before him, I, I'm going to say, well, at least I got this right. And then I was sitting in a class in seminary, um, and I remember sitting there, and I don't know, it was, it was a theology class, and uh, John Rogers was actually teaching it. And, and, but he got us thinking, and I was sitting there thinking, how do I know? How do I really know that I'm saved? And I thought, well, I can't know that. that that's, that's a human viewpoint. Only God has the real viewpoint. And so I thought, well, here's what I'm going to do. <laughs> that when I die and I stand before God, I'm going to lie down on the ground and I'm going to say, I should not be here. I have no place here. I have no righteousness of my own. It is only through you, Jesus, that I can be here. And that, that comforted me. That gave me the sense that I don't need to worry about it. So I began to let, let off worrying about that. And what, what none of this did for me, though, was to reveal to me what a friend God is to me. I had sung that in him, what a friend we have in Jesus. But I had too much other turn or burn theology in there that kept me from getting to that. So God led me to an amazing gal, woman, my wife Glow, who has showed me more about love than any person on this earth could have and and patience because I, I just kept stumbling over my own failure and Lord knows she got tired of it but I, I just all I could say to her was look I'm, I'm trying I'm working on this you just pray for me and she did so I want to move now to the men's lunch and talk about how this came into being. The idea for this um, got germinated here at St. Philip's about 10 years ago, but it had been working in me um, from before then. And it came out of God showing me the futility of years of trying to earn his favor and years of debating and coming up with the right theological concepts about God and faith and salvation and all this stuff and trying to prove my worthiness, doing all that to prove my worthiness and getting my beliefs right about God. 
And so the, 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 the germination of this began in my first church in Barnwell, South Carolina. Um, this all began by meeting up with a group of men, and there were a couple of them who said, could we do a Bible study together? And I went, hallelujah, yes, I'm going to give you the straight stuff now, you know. <laughs> and, and, you know, I would give it to them, and they just had this glazed look on their face, like, what in the world are you talking about? But what we did was we met together to study the Bible, and we found a good book to use that, that took me out of the, the, the equation in terms of trying to, to teach. And, and this guy really could teach, whose book we used. And um, this group of men became friends. Um, and we began to know each other and to know each other's good points and bad points and struggles. And I wish I had time to tell you some of the stories. I, I, I'll give you one. We had a guy there who was a little different from everybody else. And he had always been different. He'd always been kind of a, 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 an outcast in the community. But we welcomed him in. And he was a member of the church. In fact, he was the, the um, every Sunday crucifer. And, um, but, but he had this, this, this way of doing things. He was so, so cheap. He was a skin flint. And um, so what we did was we took turns. There were about eight or nine of us. We took turns bringing the supper when we would meet. And I'll never forget the time that, that Terry's turn came to bring the supper the week before. And I said, okay, Terry, you got supper next week. Okay, okay, all right, all right. Well, he didn't show up the next week. <laughs> and I came to find out that he was members of about five churches. He went to any church that had a meal at night and would let him come and eat with them. And bless his heart, he lived all alone. He'd never married. And, and he, as I say, just, he was a little odd. And, um, but, but I got to bury him. And uh, just an unexpected death. But, and and I, I, I did something that he got really mad with me for, and he quit coming to church, and he quit being the crucifer. And I went around there, and I, and I told him I was sorry. I asked him to forgive me. I, I, I said, please come back. And he wouldn't do it. So I knew how to get him back. I said, well, I'll tell you what. Let me take you to Pizza Hut for lunch. And he jumped right in my car. <laughs> and after about three trips to Pizza Hut, I said, would you come back now? And he said, yeah, I'll come back. <laughs> so, um, but, but this group of men, we really got to be close friends. And, um, and to the point where guys would share stuff that was, was on their hearts. And, um, and it was the, 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 the germ of, of what we have here now. And Bishop Salmon helped me with some stuff and, and, and got me started looking in a little bit different place uh, as far as finding out um, who God is. And he led me to a couple of um, thinkers Christian thinkers, philosophers, who um, helped me see the heart of God in a new way. And um, what I found when I started doing that was I began to see the people in the Bible in a new way. I began to see the cast of characters, and especially 
in the Gospels. And um, what I learned was they are, were the most unlikely group of people. The, the, I would never have picked those people if I'd been Jesus. And, and I can remember reading it and thinking, why did you do that? Why didn't you get the people who understood things and knew something? And then as I, I read more, I realized that nobody got it. Nobody understood him. Not the religious leaders and not the guys he picked as his disciples. And that this unlikely list of characters that he picked and followed him around, how much like them I was. How much like them I could see myself. You know, the unchecked sarcasm of Nathaniel. And here's what Nathaniel had to say in the first chapter of John. When Philip tells him that they found the Messiah, and he says, well, where is he from? He says, from Nazareth. And he goes, Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? And Philip says, well, come and see. And then when Jesus saw him approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This guy tells it like it is. And Jesus says, I mean, Nathaniel says back to him, how do you know me? How do you know me? I mean, he, he had a comeback for everything. We don't see a whole lot more of Nathaniel or hear a whole lot more from Nathaniel. But, boy, you know, and Jesus says, come on and go with me to this guy. He says, follow me. Follow me. And then there's the fatalism of Thomas. You remember when Jesus has left Galilee because the Jews want to stone him and he's gone back across the Jordan and then Mary and Martha send for him. And he doesn't come. He waits. They said, Lazarus is very sick. Please come. He doesn't come. He waits. And finally he s says, okay, we're going back to Galilee now. And here's Thomas's response to that. Uh, he, he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead and for your sake I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. In other words, they were trying to kill him. We're going to all go get killed now. Well, I've got a fatalistic side in me. And then finally, the man we all love, uh, the guy with, who was obstinate and full of pride and um, fear, and that's Simon Peter. Jesus said to them this very night you will all fall away on account of me for it is written I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered but after I've risen I will go ahead of you into Galilee Peter replied even if all them, these others fall away on account of you I never will truly I tell you Jesus answered this very night before the rooster crows you will disown me three times but Peter declared even if I have to die for you I will not disown you and all the other disciples said the same. Well, he was, he was baiting them, wasn't he? And so all of these people I came to see, there's a part of me like them. The, the stuff that was stopping me from getting to God was that stuff. And yet Jesus did not have a bit of a problem calling those bunch of losers calling people who didn't understand, didn't get it. He didn't have a bit of problem calling them and saying, follow me, just follow me.
I, I will do a work in you that you can't do. So in 04, I got this unexpected call to come to St. Philip's. And I came with a desire, with a passion, to offer the kind of fellowship that had happened in Barmel to men in this community. And to do it personally with men in St. Philip's Church. But I wanted it to reach out. I wanted us to be able to say, let's get together from all sorts of churches. I wish Prelo was here because Prelo, every time we talk about it, he says, I don't know how you did this. He said, nobody from St. Michael has ever darkened the door of St. Philip's before you came here and did this. But I don't think that's really true. So the idea for doing something like this through the men's lunch uh, was germinated and started in 2009. And along the way, I finally... I say I gave it up. It's like an alcoholic giving up drinking. I gave up trying to figure out who God was. Um, trying to get my theology straight about God. And instead I began to pray, God, I just want to know who you are. Just show me from your side who you are. I'm not going to try to figure you out. I'm not going to try to take all of the theologians' arguments about you and all the stuff they have to say. I've, I've got all that in my repertoire. It hasn't helped me. Would you just show me who you are? Just the way you did to those people in the Bible. And I want to taste the kind of forgiveness they tasted in my life. And, and to know you in a way they did, in a way I, I haven't known you. And over my time here, God has been answering that often spoken prayer and allowed me to see him as I had never seen him before and to see how he actually relates. With, with the blinders off, I could see those people and I could see, wait a minute, this guy's an idiot and yet Jesus is being gracious to him. This guy hates Jesus and Jesus is not hating him back. To see his welcome and his compassion for sinners. And gosh, I needed that. And, and what an amazing and, and uplifting and healing and restoring thing that is for that to start to sink in. And that he doesn't have turn or burn tactics that he wants to use on us. And he didn't do it in the Bible to anybody either. So I think the right place to wrap this all up is um, to use a text that has started to make, I don't know if it makes sense, but it has started to resonate with me and, and to speak to me as if Jesus himself were saying it to me. And, and it's this text from uh, Matthew's Gospel. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, it, for this is what you were pleased to do. And it's almost like I've gone back to being a little child again, although I still have plenty of adult stubbornness and pride in me. But 
And he says this, all things have been committed to, be my, to, to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I am on the quest to know that passage, to know it as, as it reveals who God is. So thank you for letting me speak with you today and share um, my story. And um, it's been a fantastic 10 years doing this with you. And um, Brian is going to step in and take it from here. Um, and I'm going to just be a supporting person now in it. Um, and I'm really grateful, Brian, thank you, and Jeff, thank you for uh, letting me do this. And I have a whole list of people I want to thank, and I left my list down there uh, in my briefcase, so hang on a minute. So my thanks to you goes to you for coming, for being here month after month after month, for when you think of us, for praying for us, and uh, for your love, trust, and support of what God is doing here. And I want to ask any of you who have spoken or been part of a forum just to stand up if you would. I want to thank you. We've done this for 10 years, and we've done it nine months out of the year for 10 years, so that's 90 people, and you saw 15 or 20 here. Um, the fact that y'all would do that and get here and, and, and share your testimony is, is truly, it's truly been a blessing. Every time each one of you got, got up and did that, we got something of God that we didn't have before. So thank you so much for that. Um, and then just to say thanks to some folks personally, one, uh, two who couldn't be here today, Peter Moore and Don McLaren, and many of you have met Don, most of you know Peter if you are Anglicans, um, but Charles Waring who's here today, and, uh, and then Al Katz who um, has uh, uh, gone to, to be a member of another Episcopal church here in town, but all, all those men were particularly uh, supportive and constructive and uh, roll up their sleeves and went to work finding speakers and all that. I, this just couldn't have happened without you. And I want to thank Charles especially for um, advertising us in the um, Compass each month. Um, and um, y'all's prayers and support have have made it possible for me to, to keep doing this for all these years. 
Uh, I want to thank the prayer team, and some of you are here, the pe- folks who have met in there beforehand, to pray with speakers um, and to ask for God's blessing. I want to thank Bill Rett, who seems like Bill is always here if he can get, get here. And Bill prays faithfully for me and for us, and he calls me often to offer me suggestions for people who might be speakers, and I just really appreciate that. Um, I want to thank the men from St. Michael's who have come and been faithful, the men from Episcopal churches throughout the diocese who, who uh, have, have come to this um, lunch for the, over the years, and just your, seeing you out there, just it, it lifts my heart up. Thank you, thank you. I want to thank folks who aren't Episcopalians. <laughs> We've got a lot of Presbyterians who, who go in and out of here. And um, so I want to say thanks to all of our Presbyterian brothers who come and attend and who support us. Um, I want to thank Prelo Alexander, and he's not here today. I'm sorry he's not, who writes about us, told some of this story in the Carolina Compass, and who sort of helps me out of my theological fogs over an afternoon beer from time to time. Um, and then um, I want to thank two men who uh, were my, other, other than Mark Bouton, my first close friends here. Um, uh, Bill and Gov, would y'all stand up, please, and let me just say thank you. Um, the, the way... They're architects, and so we, misery loves company, and so we, we gravitated toward each other immediately after I got here when they found out I was an architect. But no, they have been um, fantastic friends, uh, brothers in Christ, and supporters. Um, last, last of all, I want to personally thank Mark Bouton, who has listened to my complainings and my uh, Haranguings about you know how's God going to pull this one off, and uh, and um, who lets me drag him to a local watering hole to do that. Um, I want to thank Jeff and all the clergy who um, bless this ministry, and the staff who publishes it and puts it out on the internet. And if you are not on the internet and getting it from them then see me afterwards, and I want to get your information. I'm going to give it to Lee, and you will get it after this. And last of all, um, I want to thank Connie and Ben and Florence because um, this just wouldn't happen. I mean, I, you would not come to hear me get up here and talk or just anybody. The, uh, men like to get together and, and break bread with one another. And then, and then we're ready. And then we're ready to, to, to let somebody lay something on us. And um, so y'all give them a round of applause, please. <laughs> I've gone over time, and yet I just want to say this. Brian, thank you for taking this, and I believe the best is yet to come. And would you get up and offer a benediction for us now. Before we do the benediction, um, Charles and I just want to say a word of thanks to Hank, so I'm going to let 
Charles go first. Well, thank you, Brian. It's uh, it's really been a pleasure to serve as a representative of St. Michael's um, on this steering committee and work with Hank and and uh, and, and others to, to bring the speakers around, but to, to see the enthusiasm uh, in this room when we've got someone uh, with, with a powerful word to say and see the transformation that's occurred as a result of the speakers. And it's just been a real honor to be associated with this and just thank Hank for his friendship. And it's been a joy. I look forward to seeing more of you. And I just wanted to also add a word to that of thanking Hank for his faithfulness in coordinating the myriad details of getting us together and getting this to come together each month and for all of the different speakers, all the ways that God has used his time. And Hank, we have a small little token of appreciation for you and for your long-suffering wife, uh, Glow, who is uh, such a blessing to us. So this is a little gift certificate we So if y'all would please bow your heads for the benediction. Father, we come to you this day with our hearts full of thankfulness, but before we express that thankfulness, let us just pause and remember this day, September 11th, and the time of suffering and tragedy that befell this nation and so many families uh, back on September 11th, 2001. Lord, we pray that you would continue to minister healing to all of the families and individuals who were broken or affected by that time. Lord, we pray that you would minister your healing grace to our nation. Lord, we pray that you would minister your healing uh, to all who are suffering still from the aftermath of that day. Lord, we ask that you would help us to remember that your gospel is the gospel that sets men free and that in that truth we would find comfort. And Lord, this day we do give you thanks and praise for the ministry of these men's lunches and particularly for Hank Avan and for his leadership. Lord, we thank you for having called him to this and for all of the good work that he has done in your name in this place. And we pray that you would set your blessing upon him and Glow and their family. We thank you for him and for his good and faithful service. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, the Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon you and remain with you always. Amen. And let us just uh, recognize Hank one more time. Thank you, Hank. <laughs>